My father, the Padishah Emperor, was 72, yet looked no more than 35, the year he encompassed the death of Duke Leto, and gave Arrakis back to the Harkonnens. He seldom appeared in public wearing other than a Sardaukar uniform, and a Bursig's black helmet with the Imperial Lion in gold upon its crest. The uniform was an open reminder of where his power lay. He was not always that blatant, though. When he wanted, he can radiate charm and sincerity. But I often wonder in these later days if anything about him was as it seemed. I think now he was a man fighting constantly to escape the bars of an invisible cage. You must remember that he was an emperor, father head of a dynasty that reached back into the dimmest history, but we denied him a legal son. Was this not the most terrible defeat a ruler ever suffered? My mother obeyed her sister's superiors, where the Lady Jessica disobeyed. Which of them was stronger? History already has answered. From In My Father's House by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Hey, Evan. How are you doing today? Pretty good. We are currently recording from Evan's closet. <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, would you like to start most of our episodes? We want to hear from you guys. Yes. The readers of Dune. Um, we ask y'all to send your favorite moments in Dune to us via the internet, because that's how else do we do anything. <laughs> Um, you can send us audio or video of you saying your favorite moments. You can write an email to readingdune at gmail.com. And I want to read an email from Alex Cleary. He's from the Gold Coast of Australia. What? Shout out Australia. He says, good day, fellow Fremen and first time reader. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your accent. Don't do the accent. Don't do the accent. We said good day right at the beginning. Couldn't help myself. Okay. I love the podcast as a whole. But also it gives me something to look forward to on my travel to uni every week. Nice. Understand that. Coincidentally enough, my favorite moment in the entire Dune novel was the end of chapter 25. Which, that was the chapter where all, it was the end of book one. Uh-huh. Where Paul had his trip and his experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. He saw everything. He's like freaking out in the tent. Right. Right. He says, you know what part I'm talking about. Goosebumps every time. <laughs> My father read Dune when he was 20, and he passed it down to me, and now is, now is that I am 20. I've read Dune once, so technically this is my second time around. Thank you guys. I'm picking up so much information that I missed. The dynamic you guys have face-to-face is much better than when you're streaming. You guys should do that more often. We will do our best. We will do our best. Stay well. And make sure you visit the Gold Coast after these dire times. Ooh. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much. That's- the first time anyone's invited me to Australia, so good eye, Alex. <laughs> hey, now we have a, and now we have an excuse to go. We're yeah. gonna go see Alex and our reading goon people. Yes. Yeah. All right. So Evan, last yes. time. Wait, no, the quote. The quote. Okay. Super long. It was long. It was it was a long one. We were debating before we started if there was a longer one. I remember there being one that was like super long, but I don't remember where, so I can't prove my theory. But yes, it wasn't very long. I think that the long one was also in my father's house for Princess Errol. Right. Yeah. So whenever she's talking about her past, she just decides to go on and on and on. She just goes off. 
which yeah. is kind of cool. That's the only thing we know about what's happening in the Imperium right. from her records. Right. And she's obviously got some daddy issues. So, uh, yes. So, first of all, right off the bat, um, the Emperor was 72, but he looked 35. That's pretty tight. That's the effects of spice right there. Oh, okay. The geriatric spice. That does it for you? Yeah. So that's, uh, people live a lot longer once they have some spice. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't like age slower. Did we, had we been told that before? Like probably the second chapter with guys home, home. Okay. Uh, But it's one of those things that you, yes, the spice prolongs life. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. That makes sense that you would be talking about that. Um, also that the emperor wears his Sardaukar uniform everywhere. Right. That was interesting. I, I had always pictured him in like big robes or something, but he's a soldier. Yeah. He wants to show everyone where his power lies. Hmm. Cool. But there's, even though he's like all powerful in this universe, there's, he still feels like he's caged. Right. Well, he feels like he's caged because he, he has everything, but he can't have an heir. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I mean, he's stuck to the limitations of his absolute power. Wow, that was deep. That yeah. was really deep. I'm really poetic and awesome. Uh, you know, like he has to abide by all of the rules because he's the emperor. He's the one at the tippity top. Who's, uh, who's holding him hostage? Which group? Like, why can't he have a son? The the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Bene Gesserit hold him, hold him captive. Dang. So he can uh, he can be on top, but he, he can only move. He can't move outside what they say. Right. So really kind of in this universe. That's true. Dang. Yeah, and and then Princess Erolon even says, like, the, the Bene Gesserit have this whole system in place, but who is stronger, all of those sisters in a system or the Lady Jessica and her one act of rebellion? Right. Man, that just that just expanded with your explanation. That's that's pretty rad. That's a lot. Yes. And history has already answered who is the stronger we know. It's Lady Jessica. She's like hella strong. <laughs> She's really cool. All right. So last time on Reading Dune, what happened? Where were uh, Stilgar? We were uh, entering the cave with Stilgar. Well, we walked through a crevasse mm-hmm. with the Fremen yep. of Siege Tabar. And we went into a hole that ended up being a dope cave. Um, and. Stilgar requested a sign from the Lady Jessica, and she just like let go of her control and spouted out this prayer it, verse right. thing. A children's prayer, evidently. Right. And they all kind of like flipped out, were like really into it. And Stilgar was like, Sayadina, you are our Reverend Mother. And well, she, they're not quite a Reverend Mother yet. She's definitely, yeah, she's got some power. Um, and I think that's basically where it ended. Paul ate uh, a little little snack full of spice and started tripping out again. Yeah. But this time he had a he had a little more control uh-huh. over it. Thinking about it now, it's like that first time 
was like the first time you get a you get on a surfboard. Okay. And you're like, oh, I know, I know what this is. But then you like he tries to stand up on it and just falls and gets tumbled around by the waves and gets all messed up. Yeah. Second time, he's like, okay, last time I didn't do X, Y, and Z. So he like he stood up on the board for a second before he fell down this time around. I think it's a good analogy. Yeah, he's he's learning it. Yeah. I was thinking about it a lot. Like he the first time he tripped, he um could see all these different futures and all these different things. It was all like kind of taking him on a ride. Mm-hmm. And he almost looked too hard into it. He like stuck staring. Yeah. And saw these atrocious things happening. But now in this time, he was starting to understand that if I look at it too long, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like the only way to see that it's time is there stopping is to like look at it. But if you look at it too long, you're going to change it. Mm. So you got almost kind of like find almost the things you don't see. Wow. And even Paul in this chapter, you're going to see him like try to do something different. Right. Because now it's important that like, if you can see all these futures and like none of them go nicely, we have to try to do something else. Yeah. Dang. Because something's not working. We got to figure something out. Right, right, right. All right. So back in the chapter, we're going to, we're going to start now. Um, Jessica wakes in the cave darkness. The smell of the fremen around her is loud. <laughs> the only way I can describe it is a laugh. Thank you. It's just all of those bodies outside of the still suits just B.O. to the max. Because you know they don't shower because there's no water. Right. There is no way to clean yourself. Just, there's just the stench. Spice and sweat. Ugh, cinnamon and stench. <laughs> and her inner time sense lets her know it's almost night. But the cave was still dark. The Jessica realizes this is the first time in a long time she's let herself give into her great fatigue. Mm. And she slept relaxed. When was the last time she, like, really slept? Caladan. Right. And she's been going this whole time on edge, nervous. And right. It's the first time she could just kind of give into that great exhaustion. Right. And I liked when... In the in the book, it said um, she realized that she had permitted herself the utterly relaxing sleep of great fatigue, and this suggested something of her own unconscious assessment on personal security within Stilgar's troops. So, like, she like slept real good, and then woke up realizing that the only reason she slept real good was because she unconsciously trusted Stilgar and his people enough in that moment to like actually allow herself to sleep unguarded and just like let go. She finally. Yeah. Which is huge. So this is kind of like almost this moment marks like if you were to split the book in two, it's like not feeling safe, 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 safe. And then all of a sudden you Jessica feels like, okay, we feel like we're going someplace and we feel okay and we feel safe. Right. Which is not, it's not really quite half. No. It's a little, Evan it's is like coming through his book. It's like a solid two thirds into the book. A so, yeah. Well, well, yes. The turning point, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica in her hammock that had been fashioned out of her robe. So that's how they sleep. They take the robe off and they string it up like a hammock. Pretty cool. Yeah, at least they're comfy. 
not sleeping on the ground like right. savages and like functional attire that's yes smart everything in arrakis has a function right you don't use it so yeah i'm for it i'm here for it um she's she got out of her hammock and slipped her feet to the rock floor and into her boots as she does this she thinks i must remember to fasten the boots slip fashion so that my still suit's pumping action works better there's so many things to remember she could still taste the meal she had about the night before. The same meal Paul had, but she didn't have the crazy moment with the spice. Right. Which, why is that? Well, mm. obviously, like, Paul's got some, some like, weird spiritual something going on with, with his whole situation. But, like, spice is, is kind of a drug and it affects people. So, like, why didn't it affect Jessica, like, at all? <laughs> Yeah. You know? No, that that's a great question. It kind of shows how unique Paul is for this situation. Okay. Um, we're gonna see what happens when Jessica gets too much spice. Ooh. So yes, there's something that that happens to her. But so yeah, Paul has this unique thing about him, um, where he I guess how do you say it? his kids rock had arachnus yeah sends him to this moment he was uniquely built for this time um but so yeah when everyone else has a spice they don't trip as hard or there is a moment where they all trip and we're going to get to that later Ooh. but so yeah the um emperor can take spice and not have that effect okay you can just use it for the geriatricness right right, and right. the mental focus like you would take adderall maybe but it's not as crazy trip as Paul go through. Gotcha. All right. She unhooks Bogue from the hammock peg from the hammock pegs in the rock, fumbles around in the dark with the fabric until she finds the top of it and puts it on. The first thing she thinks is how to get a message out to the Benet Jesperit. Which is funny that you would think of that right away. Because now that like if the Benet Jesuit exists only to serve, who is she serving? Like her loyalty has gone straight straight back to the Bene Gesserit. Mm. She wants to keep Paul safe, yes, but her first allegiance now is to the Bene Gesserit. Right. It's like hardwired into her. Right. Yeah. Which and Paul is uniquely positioned at this point to be influenced by the Bene Gesserit, mm. so that like the Bene Gesserit have the emperor in a cage, their hope is to also create a cage for Paul. Yeah, that sucks. Sucks for Paul. So we're going to see if the Bene Gesserit actually can set him up in that cage. Jessica looks over and see the, sees the glow globes come alight farther in the cave. She moves towards it. She sees people already dressed, Paul among them. Jessica remembered the night before and thought how strange Paul had been. He'd been withdrawn. He was like one come back from the dead. His eyes had half shut and glassy with an inward stare. It made her think of what Paul had said in the still tent, how he warned her about the diet infused with spice and how addictive it was. Addictive. Yeah. Wonders if there's any side effects of such a diet. Paul had said, had said some, it had something to do with his prescient faculty but he'd been strangely silent about what he sees. Mm. Like she knows it affects him in some weird way, but doesn't know quite how, and he's not really saying much. 
Silgar emerges from the shadow and heads towards the group. Abrupt fear shoots through Jessica as her senses visible tensions of the people in the group surrounding Paul. Their stiff movement and ritual positions. They have my countenance! Silgar rumbled to the group, directly speaking to Jameis. Jameis! Jameis is up to something and is riling the people up. Yeah. Jameis sucks. We're going to see. We're going to see if I can change your opinion here about Jameis by the end of this. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty solidly on the team of Jameis sucks, but let's see what you can do. Okay. You know the rules, Stilgar, Jameis said. Who knows it better? Stilgar asked. He's trying to de-escalate tension here in the group. Jameis growls back at Stilgar. I choose the combat. <laughs> Jessica now runs across the cave towards Jameis and Stilgar, taking Stilgar's arm. What is this? The combat? Co- Somebody say combat? No combat. Why is it combat? Yeah, Jessica's ready to take anybody on. Stilgar replies, it's the Amtal rule, Stilgar said. Jameis is demanding right to test your part in the legend. Bum, bum, bum. All right, so I want to talk about Amtal rule. Okay. Because this is the thing that you need to understand. Um, Amtal rule was a tradition that was mainly practiced on many primitive planets. It literally translates as tested to destruction. Ooh. So you want to... When you're going out with something, you want to make sure you know limits are of that thing. Okay. Because you don't want to be caught in an or in a situation where something will break on you and it'll cause you to die. Right. So you gotta test everything. Um the translation of Amtal rule, the purpose of this was to discover what the limits of a person, regardless of the consequences, were. Okay. In other words, with an object is pushed the limits, its true nature will be seen. This was practiced among Fremen as well as other societies that lived in the harshest environments. But during these days, where the Fremen are are on Arrakis, this uh, Amtar rule became a philosophical concept. Mm. With the basic premise that in order to know a thing well, you must know its limits. Only when an object was pushed beyond its limits would its true nature be seen. So Amtal was the only logical test of objects for people dependent on the survival. So this would mean that they want to test all the still suits to its max to see how it held the body's water so they can have the best thing. Gotcha. Right? So it's almost like a theory of evolution. Only the strongest survive and you can move on from that. You want to know right. which thumpers work the best and call the biggest worms. You want to know what, st- what still tents can hold up in the storm. Yeah. You want to test everything to the max. Okay. But the Fremen would actually apply this to humans. Gotcha. Only the strongest humans would survive. Um, because the theory, the whole or the, the, the tribe itself's safety depended on every member. So the weakest member could destroy a whole tribe if they right. got caught or they got stuck. So. Um, Amal became a religious ritual to them. Life on Arrakis was the ultimate test by which all things were known by how they were destroyed. However, such societies rarely viewed Amtal as merely a practical way to reduce the dangers. For the Fremen, Amtal became religious. Um, 
they even use Amtal as a metaphor, like for life on Arrakis in general. Only Shah Halud, the sandworm on Arrakis, it appeared to be exempt from Amtal rule. It could not be destroyed. The planet could not destroy the worms, and the worms destroyed everything. Yeah. Dang. So this means in the religious terms for the Fremen that Shah Halud was a deity and the ultimate tester of all things. Oh. So it became like a metaphorical religious sense. Yeah. So like that's how that's how they got to that. Um deification? Yeah. I knew that they got to that, but making Shahalut the deity the same one. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. They want to make sure everything is tested to its limits. So what Jameis is doing is testing Paul and Jessica to the limit. Right. If they die, they were bad for the tribe. Fair. If they were good, this is what was, they are the strongest and what's meant for the tribe, and I am what's bad. So by claiming Amtal rule, he is putting one with the tribe. Nothing else can be tested now. Hmm. That's, that's a lot. All right, so he's doing his thing. Jameis wants to like prove, well, he's got some other intentions of why he wants to do this, but he's, yeah, he's got his thing. Jameis says, she must be championed. If her champion wins, that's the truth. What it said, Jim, Jameis glances around at the Fremen around him, that she'd need no champion from the Fremen, which means, the thought struck Jessica, he's talking about single combat with Paul. Jessica released Stilgar's arm, taking a half-step forward. I am always my own champion. Jameis snapped. You will not tell us our ways. Not without more proof, proof than I've seen. Stilgar could have told you what to say last morning, and you could have bird-talked it back to us, hoping to, hoping to make a false way among us. It's pretty true. She could, that could, could have happened. Could have happened. They, they were a long time in front of that window trying to close it, so... Right. Jessica thinks I could take him, <laughs> but that might be in conflict with how they interpret the missionary protectiva part in the legend. Stilgar turned to Jessica and spoke in a low voice. Jameis is uh, one to hold a grudge, and your son bested him. It was an accident. There was witch force in the basin, and I'll prove it now. <laughs> Stilgar then tries to bait Jameis into fighting him. Right saying how he's bested Jameis before and he'd never make a good leader. Stilgar says he keeps Jameis around because he's useful in a fight, but his anger is dangerous to society. Jameis rumbles. Stilgar! Stilgar! Stilgar faced Jameis, but he's a boy. Talking about Paul. You named him a man, Jameis said. His mother says he's been tested through... With the, with the Gom Jabbar. He's full-fleshed, full of water. They're carrying liter johns of water. Liter johns. And then here we are, sipping our catch pockets the instance they show do sparkle. Do sparkle. Do, imagine someone angry saying, do sparkle. This podcast of reading Dune is sponsored by the word do, do sparkle. <laughs> Make sure you go to your local store and pick up some do sparkle today. Oh my gosh. Mountain do sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... He's legitimately pissed. This is like a wealth thing now. Yeah. Who are these outsiders? All this water. They just want to come in when we've been suffering and out there. 
it's like it's like everything he's saying like okay like he has a point but it's like why like stop like you're being extra right now and you just said do sparkle you know there's just there's a lot coming from Jameis right now that it's kind of like an eye roll situation or at least like as I'm reading I'm like dude come on <laughs> you know he's pissed he's he's I'm seeing it like he's mostly upset that he got beat up by a little kid you know yes like that's really what happened it's really what's happening right now but Stilgar looks over at Jessica is this true is there water in your pack yes Jessica says leader johns of it two leader johns and still are shocked. Wait, what? <laughs> what was intended with this wealth? Like, you crossed the whole desert with this bad amount of water with you? I love that. She, he like, asks, you know, like, uh, is there water in your pack? She's like, yes. We're in the, we're in the <laughs> desert, homie. <laughs> you don't carry water with you? Leader jaws of it? Two of them. We're thirsty. <laughs> we're in the desert. What are you talking? She's like, not even phased by it. But then she realizes... Like she's starting to understand this about how different life is, right? right on a racket. Stilgar says, "What was intended with this wealth?" Wealth, she thought. She shook her head, feeling the coldness in his voice. Where I was born, water fell from the sky and ran over the land in wide rivers. A sighing gasp arose from the people. <gasps> water from the sky. I've not been trained in your water discipline, Jessica said. I've never before had to think of it this way. Stilgar replied, Do you know that the, there are those among us who have lost from their from their catch pockets? They'll be in sore trouble before we reach Tabar this night. How could I know? Jessica said. If they're in need, give them water for, from our pack. Is that what you intended? With this wealth? Jessica says, I intended to save life. Jameis butts in. You'll not buy us off with Duke water? Jameis. Free water, bro. Stop. You won't, Stilgar, you will not try to anger me against yourself. I see what you're trying to do and making me call you out. Stilgar turned to face Jameis. Are you determined to press the fight against the child, Jameis? I invoke Amtal rule. It's my right. Jameis said. Silgar nodded. Then, if the boy doesn't carve you down, you'll answer to my knife afterwards. And this time, I'll no, not hold back the blade as I've done before. Ooh! Get him! Jessica tries to interrupt, but Stilgar has none of it. Right. In the green lights of the glow globes, Jessica looks over and sees Jameis brooding. Brooding. Broody Jameis. And that's where she knows, ah, oh, why didn't I see him before? He's the silent kind who gets himself all worked up inside. Should have been prepared. I mean, same, but... <laughs> same, right, right. Sometimes I just, I just don't want to talk about it. It's brood for a long time. And it's it could be bursting out. It could be a little broody myself. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we all have a little Jameis in us somewhere. No! <laughs> telling you, I'm going to change your opinion on it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if I got to change my own opinion about it. All right. Jessica calls out to him. If you harm my son, you'll have to meet me. I'll call you out now. I'll carve you into a joint of... Paul interrupts. Mother, he steps forward. Perhaps if I explain to Jameis, 
Explain! Jameis sneered. I got, I Paul's going to man explain to him about right. his own rules. Right. I know. <laughs> Paul fell silent. He felt no fear, but Paul still felt the nexus boiling over this cave, still remembering the prescient visions of himself dead under a knife. There had been so few avenues for escape from, in the vision. Hmm. Stilgar says to Jessica, Sayadina, you must step back. Stop calling her that. That's yet to be proved. So what? She knows the prayer. Every child among us knows it. And with that, Jameis, or Jessica had, has the key to Jameis. Yeah. She could use the voice at any time to stop him. But she can't stop all the Fremen. Right. So she doesn't do anything. And they would probably know if she had just, like, used the voice. Because Jameis would have just, like, sat down and... Oh, yeah. Out, out of nowhere. He would have just, witch magic, and then they really would have, like, gone after him. Yeah. But Jessica does try to do this. She says, she pitches her voice in a twisting tone and says, you will answer to me then. I'll teach you agony. Jameis stops, yells, she's trying to put a spell on me. I invoke the silence on her. So be it, Stilgar says. Then he casts a warning glance at Jessica. If you speak again, Sayadina, we will know it is your witchcraft, and you will be forfeit. Yikes. Jessica felt hands pulling her back. And she saw Paul being separated from the group as Chani is whispering in his ear. The Fremen arranged himself into a ring, and the glow globes turned from green to yellow. It's fight night, boys. <laughs> Jameis steps into the ring out of his robe, tossed it to the crowd, takes one last drink from his catch pocket, and peels off his suit, detaching it, handing it to the crowd. He's standing there in a loincloth and socks with his Chris knife, waiting. <laughs> so it's like a loincloth and socks. I don't know, yeah, I don't know why. This is like whatever they have to wear in, under the like in their boots under the Un, under yeah in the boots he's got a little 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 socks there little socky so they don't get the you know, <laughs> something that's happened there Frank Herbert didn't use the word socks but that's what's going on here that's, yeah, yeah, no. little, little socks <laughs> it sounds much more science fictiony in the book and I was like no it's basically the socks Isaiah from the live stream says he loves Jameis in the duel in the cave and it's just the beginning of something extraordinary Ooh, thanks uh thanks Isaiah all right yeah yeah yeah. for the heads up Johnny helps Paul get out of his still suit probably not as smelly as Jameis but just saying and presses her Chris knife into his hand Paul, Paul. Jessica looks at Paul thinking of his training his extraordinary training yeah He'd been taught fighting in the deadliest schools by teachers like Gurney Halleck, Duncan Idaho, men who are legends in their own right. Plus, she taught him everything she knew as well. Right. Paul looked confident. But then the, Paul hit, then the thought hits her, but he's only 15. He has no shield. I must stop this. The mom. The mom monster in her brain. But he's a boy. You know? She clicks in. Stilgar's watching her. Says, you cannot stop it. And you must not speak. <laughs> Jessica puts a hand over her mouth, and Paul steps into the arena in his fighting shorts and barefoot. So he's got he's got his little briefs on, 
and he's barefoot. Yeah, picture like Nike shorts. Right. Yeah, something really cool, not just like a loin loincloth. <laughs> just royalty in it. And what underwear you wear <laughs> <laughs> on Arrakis? Duncan always said, "When in doubt of your surface, bare feet is best." So you can feel what's going on, or more in touch with the earth. I don't know. Cheney's words rolling through his head. She said, Jameis turns to the right with his knife after a parry. It's a habit we've all seen. He also couldn't fight with either hand, so watch for the knife, the knife switch. Paul's body felt no fear. This felt like training from hours and hours and hours in the training room. Paul looked down at his knife, wondering, I wonder at what point this knife breaks. Can it break? Jameis began sliding to the right, along the edge of the ring opposite Paul. Paul crouched down, and they realized he had no shield. And all of his training was fighting with the shield. Right. I think it's like an oh crap moment. Like, here we are. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a, a kid that's done karate his whole life suddenly is in a bar fight. Right. You know, and it's like, well, technically, you're very well trained, but this is not your dojo. You know, like this, this is a bar fight. There is there is glass being thrown right. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Jameis calls out in ritual challenge. May thy knife chip and shatter. Those are Paul's. Like, oh, I guess the knife chips then. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it will break. Okay, answer my question. Thanks, Jameis. Paul stared across the ring at Jameis, the man's bod. Body looking like a knotted ripcord on a dried skeleton. Ugh. So people on Arrakis are lean, yeah. tough, and very smelly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the smelly part, it's just nice to know in the movie we won't have smell, but like it'll be really nice though when the Fremen show up, somebody just drops like a like a fart bomb, you know, you could smell the whole oh, thing gosh. the whole time as soon as I enter this CH. Moldy onions. <laughs> if you do that on the screen. Do you do that in the theater? Please tweet us at Reading Dune what your experience <laughs> was. That'd be great. <laughs> at that point, fear started coursing through Paul. He felt naked and afraid. The prescience had fed his knowledge with countless experiences leading up to this moment. And now here we are. His death hanging in the balance. As he circled the ring opposite Jameis, he repeated the Bene Gesserit Whitney against fear in his head. Fear is the mind killer. It was like a cold bath washing over him. He felt everything relax. Jameis yelled to Paul, I'll sheath my knife in your blood, and pounced at Paul. Paul dodges a blow with ease, with his reflexes attuned to fighting with the shield. Jameis' back was wide open. Paul tries to attack, but he's too slow. Right, because he was trained to be slow. Because with fighting with the shield, you need a slow blade to pierce the shield. Right. You can't just... Right. As Evan tries to stab me. Well, uh, yeah. Really quickly. I mean, you heard the noise. <laughs> you heard the noise? You were holding the knife and you went... That's... I knew exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right this keeps happening he dodges the blow but can't fa attack fast enough and each time paul's counter blow is late stilgar turns to jessica is your son playing with that poor fool but then realizes she can't talk waved to her and saying sorry you must remain silent <laughs> yeah. stilgar just needs someone to talk to 
Uh, because yeah, the whole crowd is seeing this and it's Jameis attack and he just misses it and misses it. He's just like diving around the arena and Paul's just like walking. Right. And like a Bruce Lee moment where he's just not getting, but he also can't quite get him. Right. Um, the two figures continue to circle the ring. James attacking, Paul dodging, being too slow on the rich. James attacks, but instead of dodging, Paul meets the man's knife hand on a point with his own blade. First blood. Stabs him, shakes him, ha, shaking the hand. A few drops of blood drip from James's hand and then stops. I thought that was interesting. He doesn't keep bleeding. Why? Is that a thing? It's, it's got to be like... A, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. He, it's, uh, it's just a few drops in the... Bleeding stops. And I think that's a, it's a Fremen thing. Being Living on Arrakis, your body knows it needs to like keep its water in so it just coagulates mm, super fast. That's cool. Paul crouched and calls out, Do you yield? Ha! Jameis cries. The crowd gets upset and starts to murmur. Stilgar interjects, The lad doesn't know the rule. Then speaking to Paul, uh, there can be no yielding. Death is the test of the challenge. Yikes! Paul swallows hard. He's never killed a man before. Ugh. Paul circled right and forced Jameis's movement. His prescient visions began to plague him as the time boiling over with variables filled his brain. Have an end to it, lad! Don't play with him! Stilgar yells to Paul. Because, again, the Fremen just think that they're He's playing with Jesus. But it's like, he's he's sitting there, 15 years old, and he's like, oh, I have to kill this guy? Yeah. I wasn't planning on murdering anybody today. You know, yeah, like, I didn't wake up today trying to murder somebody. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> like, I'm not 15, and the thought of, like, if I just stab somebody to death, I maybe I'm soft, but I would be, like, messed up for the rest of my life. Well, yeah, especially, like, like you, get in, you get into a fight with somebody, and you're like, oh, I just expect this to end it. No, no, it has to end in death. You're right. like, damn it. I'm not trying to kill the wife. Oh, I don't want to go the whole way. I don't want no PTSD, no thank you. No way, I don't want that. Jameis backs up, and desperation hits the man's face. Paul pressed the fight now, remembering what Duncan had told him. When your opponent fears you, then's the moment when you give the fear its own reign. Give it time to work on him. He'll make a mistake. He'll attack in desperation. Mm -hmm. You're being trained to detect these mistakes and use them. The crowd starts getting excited. <laughs> Jessica thinks the crowd thinks Paul is playing with Jameis and being needlessly cruel. But the crowd is thoroughly enjoying this. Right. And she can feel the pressure start building. Like this is this is the Lizan El Gayib being tested. Yeah. Is he the man? Is he not? If he dies, we know, but oh my gosh, this is the fight. They'll be talking about this fight for generations to come where he is tested. Right. They're getting pumped. <laughs> Jess uh Jameis leaps up high to attack. He switches the knife hand midair. Paul watches the knife, knife switch because you always, you don't watch the hands. Watch the knife. You watch the knife. As Jameis is coming down, Paul shifted his own knife, knife slipped sideways, and thrust upwards into Jameis's oncoming chest. Good. Jessica fell like, uh, Jameis fell like a limp rag. His eyes stared out like dark blue glass. Uh, Jameis is dead. He's dead. 
The troop rushed forward, pushing Paul aside. They hit Jameis and rushed him away. Another group of Fremen start helping Paul put his steel suit back on, putting on his robe. Right. But now this is like ceremoniously. Like he's just killed Jameis, who's arguably a pretty good fighter. Right. No, for me, he made him look like a child in this, and they're going to rush Jameis away so they can go collect his water, right. do what they need to do. But now they're like, Paul is standing there, and the Fremen just come around him. He's not doing anything. They're just letting the Fremen know he's letting him, letting them put on the thing, right? Like, like a king. Yeah, you know what this this like reminded me of because like Jessica has a reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like while they're putting on his uh, his suit. suit, there's a scene in the movie Fight Club where um, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden uh-huh. is like gets in a fight or whatever, and like he's all like messed up, and then he just like sits down. Yeah, and he, like crosses his leg, and he puts a cigarette in his mouth, and somebody comes up and lights it. Yes, you know, and it's like he he didn't even have a thought of it going any other way. He like as soon as he put the cigarette in his mouth, the lighter was already there, and he lit. It was like that demonstration. Ooh. Like that's kind of what Paul is feeling right now, and Jessica is like, "Hold up, this is a moment. Like this is an important moment. Yes, and we he's either gonna like." really like this feeling of killing a guy out of nowhere or he's gonna like have compassion and it's like she sees the tension between those two possibilities i was really wondering if we were gonna get a fight club reference tonight and i'm glad (laughs) you did it i was wondering is this gonna happen but no that's a good way of putting it i didn't even uh intend to uh it wasn't even a pun pun not intended a pun reference reference pun not intended but it's definitely the fight club scene yeah all right Paul presses forward towards her son. Now is a terrible moment. He's killed a man in clear superiority. Right. He, may, he must not grow to enjoy such a victory. Chani stood on one side, her eyes solely focused on Paul in pure amazement. <laughs> She's into it. She's so into She's it. into it. Man, whew, I'm into it a little bit. He killed James. Jessica thinks it must be done now and swiftly. Well, now, how does it feel to be a killer? Paul stiffened as though he's been struck. He met his mother's cold eyes and his face darkened with a rush of blood. He looked down to where James's body had been. He's thinking about it. Right. And Jessica used her weirding ways. Her mom was just like, Bloop. Throw a little bit of guilt in there and he won't get all crazy and like homicidal. And then Stilgar pressed through towards DePaul. When the time comes for you to call me out, do not think you'll play with me the way you played with Jameis. So you have a little father-son thing there. Like, yeah. yeah. Jessica sensed the way in her words combined with Stilgar's and they sunk into Paul doing the work on the boy. Paul looked at his mother. You know what it was? Shared the remorse in his voice. Jessica turned to face the group. Paul has never killed a man with a naked blade. Everyone in the cave is stunned. Wait, what? What? Paul says, I wasn't playing with him. I did not want to kill him. Stilgar, slowly processing all of these things, tugs on his beard. 
Was that why you asked him to yield? Ah, I see. Our ways are different. You'll see them. You see, you'll see the sense of them in time. I thought for a moment we had meant a, a scorpion into our midst. He hesitated. I shall not call you lad the more. Right? He's like, oh, wow. He's a man. He's a man. He's not for sure a man. This fight club was his bar mitzvah. Yes. <laughs> Needs a name still? A voice in the crowd called out. Stilgar nodded, still tugging at his beard. I see strength in you, like the strength beneath the pillar. You shall be known as Uso, the base of the pillar. This will be your secret name. The only that we will only use in the siege. A murmur went through the troop. Good name! Strong! Bring us luck! <laughs> That's not a murmur. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing it by this. Murder! Murder! Okay, do you, I don't know if you remember this quote. There's a quote two chapters ago where it talks about the um, the pillars of the universe and to be the Fremen religion. Mm-hmm. And there's like the, the pillars of the universe. Yes. I mean, do you kind of remember what that was talking about? No. I remember it. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So in the Fremen religion, they're going to have like the pillars of the universe that people people will go evangelize and crusade out and tell people these are the pillars of how the universe works, and Muhadib will be their their right. prophet. Right? right. It's funny how uh, the his name in Ch is base of a pillar. Yeah. The pillars of the universe are going to be built off him. Dang. I just thought that was interesting. Stilgar asked Paul, now. What name of manhood do you choose for us to call you openly? Paul glanced at his mother. Back at Stilgar. I like, I really like this part. Keep going. Because he like, yeah, he's like, watch this, mom. (laughs) Bits and pieces of this moment registered in his prescient memory. But he felt the differences as though they were physical, pushing him through a narrow door of the present. Call among you the little mouse that jumps. I chuckle, sounded to the troop. <laughs> okay, he said, I'm, I'm going to read it again. How do you call among you the little mouse, the mouse that jumps, Paul asked, remembering the pop-pop of motion at Tuono Basin that he illustrated with one hand. So he's like, little mouse that like hops. Oh, uh, the great Muhadim. So yeah. <laughs> so I would laugh too. Some kid was like, what do you call him? Because you're going to, my man name should be the little mouse. <laughs> A chuckle sounded to the troop. We call that one Muhadib. Chilgar said, Jessica, Jessica gasps. It was the name Paul had told her. Right. She felt some fear. Of her son and for her son. Paul swallowed. <laughs> he remembered the prescient visions of legions following the green and black banner of the Atreides, pillaging and burning across the universe in the name of their prophet, Muad'Dib. That must not happen, he thinks. Is that the name you wish, Muad'Dib? Stogar asked, because Paul is being awkwardly silent through most of this, probably because he's like, what do I do? do that's, that's not going to happen. I'm going to do, yeah. do something different. I am an Atreides, Paul whispered. And then talking louder, he said, It is not right I give up my father's name entirely. 
Could I be known among you as Paul Muhadib? You are Paul Muhadib, Stilgar announced. Paul thought, that was different. I never right. saw that in any vision. Uh-oh. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I can't really tell. I think, I think that's a good thing. Um, he's going to try to... For the people in the Dune universe that are like extremely prescient, they are constantly looking to try something different. Right. Because uh, it makes sense too, because all of the futures that he is seeing are like bad news, like bad stuff is yes can happen. So he's like, okay, whatever I can do that doesn't lead there, I'm gonna do. That makes sense. Yes. Um, and it brings me back to the Heisenberg effect in the last chapter. If you look at an event for too long, it like it won't happen. So you, so you have to like try to do things you don't see to try to align the pieces the way you want. So you gotta like kind of. Do something different. That's the key part. Gotcha. Again, a murmur from the crowd. Wisdom and strength. It is the legend. Wazan al-Gaib. Wazan al-Gaib. Silgar, talk to Paul. I wish to tell you about your new name. The choice pleases us. Muhadib is wise in the ways of the desert. Muhadib creates his own water. Muhadib hides from the sun and travels at night. We call Muhadib instructor of boys. That is a powerful base on which to build your life, Paul. Muhadib, who is Usul among us, we welcome you. Stilgar touched Paul's forehead with one palm, withdrew his hand, and embraced Paul, murmuring, Usul. He released him, and another Fremen comes up, embraces Paul, and says, Usul. And then he let go. And another friend, they're just passing him around. Passing him around. Uso. Johnny eventually comes up. Getting, she gives him a sexy hug. Oh, really? They touch, they touch cheeks. They, t- they touch that's cheeks. A, that's it. It's intimate. An intimate hug, yeah. And then she whispered probably just directly in his ear, like, Uso. <laughs> I got chills. <laughs> they're multiplying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Paul stood before Stilgar after everyone has hugged him. Stilgar's face was hardened. And now, Paul, Paul Muhadib, tighten up that still suit. <laughs> back, back to soldier. Back to him. Johnny, Paul Muhadib's nose plugs are poor as fit as I've ever seen. And she's like, I'll give him mine. Like, oh, share. And he's like, no, there are spares. Oh, are we a troop together or are we savages? <laughs> that voice cries out. But still, what about the water? Still got still got responded. I know your need. Approach one of those what need it. The water is the dower property of the Sayadina and will be repaid at the CHF field rates, less pack fees. And she, of course she wants to know um how much that is. And yeah. she's like, wait, what's going on? It's like one tenth. And she's like Our ways are good, you'll figure it out. Right. Like there's a reason. It's basically like the field cost is like if you have to take water from somebody else while you're out in the desert, it's worth ten times as much as it is in the sea edge. Right. That makes, makes sense to me. I yeah. Don't know. Right. Yeah. Economics. Right. Water economics. Um, the rustling of robes marked the movement as men turned to get water. Dogar held up his hand, and there was silence. A full ceremony. 
turning away with respect due to one who proved our fortune with his Tadati Tahadi challenge. I invoke the right at sunset when the dark shall cover him. Paul, hearing these words once again, was plunged into the abyss. Wow. The Atreides banner flying with the jihad behind him. With the weight of all of these fanatics raging through the universe, just pouring out destruction on every planet known in the Imperium, he sees this and he thinks to himself, he thinks to himself, where, hold on, I'm getting right in the Um It will not be, he told himself. I cannot let it be. And thus ends chapter 33. There it is. He cannot let it be. And Paul is now officially Paul Muhadib. Paul Muhadib. Which we didn't see coming until this moment because even like Princess Irulan has been calling him Muhadib, Muhadib, Muhadib over and over again. Yep. But so, now that was cool. That was a cool. Well, and I like how he does it too. He's not like, I will be Muhadib. He's like, watch this. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. And it's, it's, it's cool that he's like, I'm not going to be one thing. I yes. am two things, you know, like, so I, I will be Paul and Muhadib. Like, that's who I am. And in the book, they have it hyphenated. Right. Which um, rem- reminds me of Leah Kynes. In it, yeah. Right. He's got both got one leg in the Imperium and one leg in the Fremen. Mm-hmm. So Paul now has one leg. I mean, he still has, he's still a Duke. Right. But he's also now part of these Fremen. And uh, we're going to see how they accept him moving forward very shortly as we're almost, we're not even to this yet yet. We're getting really close. Right. One day you'll see a Fremen city. Hopefully next week. Hopefully next week. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, We are so glad that you joined us here live. Um, Ooh, ooh, I got it. Oh, you got got it? it. Yeah, I can't do it from mine. Can't do it from yours. Shout out from Portugal. Portugal. Live. Is they call themselves LOL, LOL. We see you, LOL, LOL. We see you from Portugal, from Portugal, Portugal. And uh, Bryce, Bryce Thomas, good to have you on the show. He says, finally caught up with both in the book and the pod podcast. Glad to catch you live. We're glad to see you. Thank you very much, Bryce. If you want to uh, hit us up, make sure you hit us up on Twitter. At Reading Dune, we like tweet different stuff back and forth. Yeah. The last thing was like, uh, which, oh, you might like this. Which faction, if you were in the Dune Duneiverse, which faction would you align with? Would you be a Mentat, Bene Gesserit, the Guild, the Fremen, Harkonnens, maybe the Atreides? Mm, it's a toss, it's a tie, I think, between. The Atreides and the Fremen. Basically, it's like what Paul is trying to be. I mean, because the Atreides sincerity thing and mm. like the way that they are uh, in the system but don't fully believe in it and want to that, that want to make chaotic good type thing. I really dig that. But also the desert power, the like mindfulness, the 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 culture of the Fremen. I like it a lot. So I mean when I when I look at your body, Evan, you do have that ripcord muscles on that skeleton. (laughs) I am skinny, skinny. (laughs) That is not true. And lastly, shout out to Julian. 
He says, happy to be here from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. We got some Boricuas in the house. So we just want to say stay spicy, y'all. And we will see you in the next chapter. See you later. Bye.